Welcome to the Book Squad Podcast. 94% bookish banter, 6% shenanigans. From Lawrence Public Librarians, Kate Gramlich and Polly Kim. Welcome to the Book Squad yeah, podcast. Exactly. Oh, was that your line today? No. All right. I was just jumping in. Dang it. So what do we got going on today? Well, today is a very special podcast. Yes. I'm very excited, actually. So this would be our, you know, normally our... 19th. Is it our 19th? I think so. I don't know. We have no idea. You know what? What? Hey 19 came on the radio this morning when I was getting ready. Who's that by? That is by... Um, Oh my gosh, why am I completely <laughs> blanking right now? Steely Dan. Oh! <laughs> and then, mm-hmm. related to what I'm about to tell you, mm-hmm. is Black Water by the Doobie Brothers. Oh, I really love on. that song. I and really love that song. Today, we're talking to somebody from Mississippi. Oh my God. That's just, I didn't make that connection. Yeah, you're right. You're totally right. Okay. So, I love that song. I know, me too. Maybe that should be our theme song. (laughs) Maybe it should. So, okay, enough about enough about the Doobie Brothers. So today, our special episode um, is we're not doing. She said, she said today, and we're We're possibly not not even doing. We're possibly not even doing two book minimum today. But we are talking to Beth Ann Fennelly, yay, who is the author of Heating and Cooling, Mm -hmm. which you might remember I talked all about. In our in, gift giving. In yeah. Gift giving it's been guide. one of your favorite books yes. this year. So I'm super excited. We're using our technology to connect mm-hmm. to her. Thanks, um, Jim. Far away. Thanks, Jim. And let me tell you a little bit about her before we get to the interview. So um, she is an American poet and prose writer. She is currently the Poet Laureate of Mississippi. Mm-hmm. And um, she is, let's see. Let's see all the books that she I know there's has. a lot. I know. So um, the thing that's actually, she's kind of a big deal. I know. I didn't, really... I mean, I knew this book was amazing and I knew. But you didn't realize the yeah. extent of her big deal. Right. So mm-hmm. her first collection of poems, Open House, won multiple awards, including the Zoo Press Poetry Prize, the 2001 Kenyan Review Prize, the Great Lakes Colleges Association Award, a book sense top 10 poetry pick. Mm. Um, and her poems have been in all kinds of anthologies mm-hmm. and different editions of um, Best American Poetry. Um, in 2009, she received a Fulbright grant to Brazil to study the oh. poetry of Elizabeth Bishop. I know she's yes. smart too. Um, and then let's see, what else has she won? She's won some other awards. I don't even yeah. So um, she's definitely uh, she's published by W.W. Norton and has been there for a while. And we'll kind of talk about how we got hooked up. Mm-hmm. And then um, she also, you know, she's written some essays and she's also written a novel, The Tilted World. Right. With her yeah. Husband. So we'll talk with her about that a little bit. And um, she it was in 2016. She was named the Poet Laureate of Mississippi. So she's been. I feel like there's also other awards. Oh, there's a lot. Yeah. We can we can just link to uh, yeah. the giant scroll of awards. <laughs> this giant yeah. scroll of awards. She's pretty amazing. So, yeah, we uh, are going to be talking to her and... Uh, For a little while. Then we'll do a little wrap up at the end. Mm-hmm. I don't know what we'll do. We'll see what we're going to do. It's going to be exciting. Wrap, wrap up somehow. <laughs> well, it'll be a wrap oh, up. Oh, boy. I'm sorry. No. Take it back. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Doobie Brothers. <laughs> okay. All right, here we go. 
So first, before we get started, the thing that everybody needs to know, but we don't know because we're, you know, talking through microphones and not together, is that we're all redheads. Mm-hmm. Oh, nice. So I think... I think this is going to go great. This is going to go good. <laughs> <laughs> we were looking at your we were looking at your pictures, and I... Yeah, and I was like, we were like, oh my gosh, and I think she must be a Scorpio. Yeah, and you're not, right? No. No, I'm a Gemini. I'm sorry. Well, that's okay. Do you ever think that maybe you're not? <laughs> yeah, actually all the time. I mean, to the point where I don't really believe in astrology because I don't feel like a Gemini at all because Geminis are mm-hmm. supposed to be the twins and they can't make up their mind and they're very split. No, and think... I'm actually very determined and I always know what I want. See, I think you actually came out too early. Yeah. yeah. Like a way, like like. You're you're Scorpio six months too early, mm-hmm. but yeah, you you could be a, an honorary Scorpio. <laughs> Thank you. That's like the nicest thing anyone's ever said to me. All right, we just could tell. We could just tell looking at you. So unfortunately, we don't also have Bloody Marys right now, but we're gonna pretend. Thought about it. Mm-hmm. Um, um, all right. So what? I'll, we could talk a little bit. Let's talk a little bit about how we got connected because this was this was super exciting to me. So. We're talking about your book, Heating and Cooling, today and everything else. Um, but I was, I just fell in love with it. It was, I love it so much. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and um, I was talking about it on Facebook and I was talking, I talked about it on the podcast and I was just talk, telling everybody that they needed to read this book. And so um, Golda, who works at WW Norton, said, Oh, I got us connected and said, Oh, would you like to interview Beth Ann? Um, and your publicist got in touch with us, and it was really wonderful. And it was really wonderful. So thank you so much. Yeah, absolutely. I really thank appreciate you. it. Um, and so I talked about this book on our um, gift giving. Gift giving. Episode. Yep, mm-hmm. the gift giving episode because it felt like a gift to me this year. Um, and I wanted to ask you if you had read any books in the last year that felt like gifts to you. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, to be perfectly honest, every book I read feels like a gift and, um, a gift that the author gives me, but also a gift I give myself because, um, there's like everyone, there's so many demands on my time that I have to give myself permission to read for pleasure. Mm -hmm. And what's ridiculous is how sometimes that seems such a bold thing to do, to say, what I will do with this afternoon is give myself the pleasure of reading and connecting with my soul in this very significant way. Why does that right. feel like such a stupendous decision when um, <laughs> it's really as, like as necessary as eating and breathing? So I do read every day, even though I I do find it like an amazing thing to, for example, give myself a whole night to read mm-hmm. or the really you know, dangerous thing of when you decide you're going to stay up until you finish a book, even if that means you're wrecked in the next day. And we've all like had that pleasure where you just Mm. reach the point where you think, you know, I've got 75 pages to go and I'm just, yeah, yeah, I'm just going to read it. I don't care about tomorrow, you know? Um, But there've been, you know, several books um, this year that, that have felt that way to me. I just actually, Reread um, Jasmine Ward's mm. really amazing book, Sing Unburied Sing. Mm-hmm. 
So um, that's Kate's that, favorite. That was, I love her. I love oh, her so really? much. Oh really? Oh my god, I love yeah. her so much. So that was just a, a recent one where I, I just dove in and, and gave myself over to it. I actually got my Southern States confused and uh, was going to ask if you knew her just because I was hoping you did. Uh, but she's not. <laughs> she's she's not in Mississippi. She's no. in Louisiana. Mm-hmm. So well, um, actually, she is from the Gulf Coast of Mississippi, right. and she did spend a year up at the university. So I only know her a little bit, oh, but wonderful. I do know her a bit. Oh she's God, I love she's her. She's sweetest. Yeah, I got to I got to um, t- play with her baby's feet. <laughs> she Whoa. you know she had a new baby and mm-hmm. she was tra- yeah she was uh i was at book expo and she had the baby with her at book expo so um her i think it was her agent was carrying the baby around and you're like can i touch his feet <laughs> in a pack yeah and i was like can i touch jessman Ward's baby's feet it wasn't that creepy <laughs> yeah, it wasn't right. as creepy as it sounds right now um but it was very sweet she was traveling with him oh, no that sounds amazing yeah yeah so oh, yeah. Do you want to? Well, what are you? Answer? What are you reading currently, or what? What else have you read lately? Um, I reread also Maggie Nelson's book, The Argonauts, which is a really mm-hmm. wild and difficult book. Maybe you guys have read it. It um, combines um, fragments of memoir and cultural criticism with literary criticism, and um, it's kind of transversive and um, troubled and it investigates gender and sexuality mm-hmm. and it's it's pretty heady. And the other book that I, I read recently that um, blows me away and actually all these three books are books I've reread as opposed to for the first time mm-hmm. um, which is really its own category of pleasure but um, mm-hmm. The Pillow Book by Seishana Gunn which is a book that's a thousand years old and it was kept, um, it's the diary that was kept by um, a lady-in-waiting to the Japanese empress, and the they're the, the pillow book is the thoughts that she would have at night, and at the time, the Japanese ladies-in-waiting to the empress, their hairdos were so elaborate that they didn't take them down at night. They'd sleep on a lacquer box to prop them up, oh and they'd keep a little diary in this pillow, and so it, that was the pillow book would be the, the, th- the thoughts you'd write down before you went to bed. Wow. And it's so interesting to read her thoughts from a thousand years ago and her taste was so specific and um, her way of looking at the world was so charming. And I think I was drawn to pick that book up again because um, getting down a little bit about politics mm-hmm. and the state of the world right now mm-hmm. um, to go back into this other world and to connect with someone across time and across culture and um to feel the joy that she took at looking at a certain sunset is still available to me. There's yeah. there was something rather wholesome about it. That's wonderful. How did you hear about that? Oh, I want to. I need to interject on this. Oh, I yeah. know this book. Oh, you do. The How reason I know this book is because it was the inspiration for Amy Krauss Rosenthal to write Encyclopedia of oh. an Ordinary Life, which is one of my other most favorite books. Have you read that? No, but people lately, two different people have recommended that book to me. So if you're the third, I guess I need to really read it. <laughs> you, I think, um, yeah. I think you will really like it. It's really special, and um, it, I mean, and I just fell in love with Amy Kraus Rosenthal, who actually passed away this year, and um, yeah, but that that book was her inspiration, one of her inspirations, and and I went and sought it out because of that. Oh, that's neat. That's yeah, neat. yeah, nice. Well. Um, so when or how did you, I mean, you, you write, you write a lot, you write everything. How did you decide 
that poetry was going to be kind of like your main jam. Jam. <laughs> well, or do you consider it to be your main jam? Well, I always did. And lately I've been, you know, having this kind of tawdry love affair with a sentence. And I almost mm. feel like I'm cheating on poetry with <laughs> the things I've been doing lately. Yeah. And I'm like vaguely guilty about it because poetry in general is so unloved that if you do it, mm -hmm. you know, you really have to embrace being of like the Rodney Dangerfield of the literary <laughs> world, you know, no respect. Um, so why I have strayed from poetry when I was so comfortable in that underdog role, I'm not sure, but something about the sentence just seems so entrancing with these greater possibilities and the wider canvas. So um, lately I have been writing only prose mm -hmm. and reading almost only prose. But, um, you know, I've done three books of poems and three books of prose, but um, I, I believe I'll circle back to poetry again at some point. Do you get, do you have to check in as the Poet Laureate? Uh, yeah. With your reading list? <laughs> <laughs> that should be like a certain amount of poetry. So, yeah. yeah, what are, yeah, your, what are I your duties? Know. What are your duties well, as the Poet Laureate? Um, duties? Mm -hmm. Duties, I don't know if that's, you know, exactly the word, which is just to say... The position is honorary, i.e. there's no salary. Mm -hmm. So it's not like they can require right. like okay. me to, you know, do like crazy things. However, the reason why I was given, I believe, the reason why I was given the position was partially in recognition of the work that I'm doing in the state of Mississippi, which is not my native state, but mm -hmm. a state I dearly love. So I've lived here for 16 years and I've I've always had it a mission of mine to get poetry into the hands of kids. Mm. I just have always believed that if they could be exposed to it before they're taught to hate it or <laughs> to ignore it, that it could they could find in it something that helps them, that educates their emotions and prepares them emotionally and cognitively and spiritually to live a deeper life. Yeah. I can't help but think that just exposing them to poetry is the the first and easy step and teaching them just the pleasure finding in it you know that it doesn't have to be a scholastic mm -hmm. you know strident dry activity but it, it's just the same place where music comes from and jumping rope on the playground and chanting dr seuss that there's this pleasure principle at the core and it starts there so I do a lot of work in the schools. And then the other thing I'm really passionate about is sort of old fashioned, but I believe very strongly in memorizing and reciting poetry. Mm -hmm. So I've gotten involved in the, the, the government's program called Poetry Out Loud, which teaches high school students to memorize and recite poetry. That's cool. And so I've done that, you know, at the regional and state level now for many, many years. Um, and I think one reason why I came to the attention of the committee was for doing these type of outreach activities. And now I just frankly do more of them. That's wonderful. So <laughs> can a school just kind of request your presence yeah. or how, how do they, how do you go about getting, um, like getting to visit different schools and, and getting to interact with the kids? Yeah. What normally happens is I do, an event and someone hears about it and asks me to come to their school. You know, cool. um, like yeah. last week I was in Jackson with a musician friend of mine. Her name is Claire Holly, and we did a 
an event together where I read micro memoirs and she sang her songs and it was really fun and there was a high school teacher there who said won't you come come to my school or Skype in so yeah. I'll probably be doing that that's awesome that's really cool wow that's a nice thing to do yeah yeah do okay. you ever go to uh public libraries <laughs> yeah as a matter of fact I do um quite a bit go to public libraries that's nice that's how we got connected our poet laureate here and I think they actually work through um the humanities council and mm -hmm. the humanities council kind of gets asks folks if they want the poet laureate to come and do things and so our last poet laureate we loved him very much we really loved he's, him he's he sounds like jimmy stewart yeah when he talks yeah and mm -hmm. he, so it would be like jimmy stewart was um had memorized a poem for you <laughs> it was Aww. really nice yeah, really yeah and he introduced me to tarantulas on the life buoy by yeah. thomas lux which mm -hmm. is like now one of my favorite very poems mm-hmm I think I should learn oh. to recite that one. Yeah, you should. Yeah, I don't know how to do. I don't. I don't have any of those There's memorized. There's a poem. 2018 challenge. Oh boy, mm -hmm. good. We can do it on the podcast. There's one poem that I almost had memorized. <laughs> it's "As I Walk Out One Evening" by W. H. Auden, and it was just because I've listened to Dylan Thomas reading it so many times that I have memorized it as Dylan Thomas. Like I couldn't. <laughs> I could only recite it as Dylan with Thomas. His, yes, as Dylan <laughs> Thomas. <laughs> Okay, well, I'm because I loved this book so much. I'm I'm very interested in how you came up with micro memoirs as a format, um, and 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 maybe that you have some other maybe there are other micro memoirs we don't know about that you could suggest to us. But you know, and I'm also really interested in. Um, I mean, each one is so concise. It's so perfect. Like every word is exactly where it needs to be. And it seems like everyone is just as short or just as long mm -hmm. as it needs to be. And how do you decide when it's done? How do you decide when an entry is done? Well, that was like four questions. <laughs> I'm kind of the worst. Tell us everything. Sorry. Okay. Um, well, I'll try to back up to question number one. Um, <laughs> so how did I come up with the form? It actually... You know, the form came up on me, and I didn't know it for a long time, which is to say, my book previous to this one is a novel that I wrote with my husband. Mm -hmm. And it was a collaborative thing. We worked on it for four years, and it's called The Tilted World, and it was a big novel about the flood of the Mississippi River in 1927. And it took us a long time to write it, and we had to do a lot of research. And when we finished it, I thought, oh, I guess I'll write another novel now. I'll write one by myself. And every day I would go to my notebook and I would get ready to start some big project and nothing was coming. Like I kept saying to Tommy, I'm not writing. I don't know what's wrong with me because every day I would just write down some weird, a little memory or some <laughs> little thought. And I kept waiting for them to add up to something and nothing was ever adding up to something. And I, I felt frustrated except one day I thought to myself, oh, I can't wait to, to go back to my notebook and not write again today. And I thought, why, why do I have a good feeling about a failed project? Mm -hmm. And I went back to my notebook and I started looking at the little pieces and I thought, maybe I feel like I'm not writing because what I'm doing doesn't look to me like other types of writing I've done. What if I stop waiting for these to add up to something and realize they're just very small somethings? Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that freed me in a way and also kind of frankly coming up with the term micro memoir allowed me to realize I was writing a book and I was pretty far into the project 
So then I thought, okay, what is this thing I'm trying to do? And I thought, I want to take the things I love most from the genres I love most. And from poetry, I love that extreme compression and abbreviation and lyrical thrust. And what I love from fiction is like a true beginning, middle, and end narrative. Mm -hmm. And maybe even the ability to create suspense. Mm -hmm. And what I love about memoir is telling the truth. And so I thought, I'm going to tell very small narratives about my life that are true. And that's what I did. Yeah. Yeah, I think you nailed it. Yeah, you sure (laughs) did. They're so good. Yeah, that's wonderful. Well, so how do you know, like when you're writing one, how did you have to do go back and do a lot of editing or did you just kind of feel that things were just done? Yeah. Yeah. Well, other writing projects I've had in my life have involved a lot of editing. Like, for example, just writing a regular regular literary essay. Mm-hmm. If, if it's going to end up at 4,000 words, maybe my first draft is 12. Mm-hmm. And that's just part of my process, like a ton of cutting and a ton of mm-hmm. revision. I'd say these were different in the respect that I didn't start, you know, like, for example, some of those one-sentence essays in there. Mm-hmm. I didn't start with something that was four pages long and cut it down to one okay, sentence. Okay. Never. I just had to hit on the right size idea and get lucky enough to recognize it. Yeah. Like what I ended up feeling like they're almost like found poems, like micro memoir moments are in the air all around us. Mm-hmm. We just have to recognize them. Mm-hmm. And you know, like there's a little tiny one and it just shows like so every day we go through life so fast that we don't have time to recognize how weird it is to be mm-hmm. alive mm-hmm. and that every day our moments are filled with humor and strangeness and wonder but we we don't have time even to digest them until we're already into a next moment so separating these moments out with white space like a frame around a painting almost dignifying them in a way with silence around them allows the weirdness of the moment to come out. So it it was almost like tricking myself to recognize the moment. So Mm -hmm. there's one piece in the book that is just so small. And I remember I was at a salon and... um, (laughs) I like that one. (laughs) Okay, so you do know the book pretty well. You're already laughing and I haven't even mentioned it, but... Um, it's the it's called why I'm switching salons and it's so super short and it's um, y- you know it's just a crazy piece but the we can put on a top coat with glitter said the manicurist we noticed you like attention <laughs> and so during the manicure she actually said that to me but then the conversation went on and I just read like I registered this like little flicker Uh yeah as the conversation went on like and I in my head I was like wow she kind of just insulted me but in a kind of awesome way and I like you know something about it was really mean but really funny and and accurate and I just had to um like loop back in my head and almost like latch onto that moment before it passed yeah and You know, if I had rendered our whole conversation, that one line of hers... Would have been lost. Yeah, would have been lost. But just to, like, um, you know, isolate it, really, Mm -hmm. with white space kind of allows 
you know, allows this thing that was really said to me to be as <laughs> truly awesomely bizarre yeah. as it was. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I thought I was thinking of um, home button that when you right. were when you were saying that too, like that. It's just the one sentence, and mm-hmm. but it's it really encapsulates just a feeling, and it like gave me a little glimpse into your marriage. Um, you know what your love is like. Um, a lot of the, and the, all the married, I love all the married love. So we're, we are almost the same age and I also have three kids. And so, um, all of the married loves, mm-hmm. uh, entries were, yeah, I was just, uh, the seat too. warmer was my, I think maybe my favorite of all of them. Aww. Um, but you know, it's, it's so nice that you, you, you can, I mean, the thing that I love about these is we don't know you at all. Um, you're, this isn't a memoir like. And then, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> and then we moved to this house. Um, but I feel like I have a flavor, a sense of your, you know, the love that you share with your husband. You know, not including the the book one where you. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> um, I will be looking in page fifty. Page fifty of forever. Every book. Just every in case. And you guys are going to have that. a lot of books to check at the libraries. <laughs> So, you know, I am sorry. Just in case one happened to mm-hmm. come over here, yeah. Yeah, so if, if you you really, if you need to read this book, everybody, so you know Just what, to know, yeah. you know why you're looking on page 50 um, <laughs> for that. But, I mean, I, this the, the ones that I, I think that I was most drawn to, I mean, were the, kind of those short ones, like the long line of modest achievers. I read mm. that to my husband last night, and I think he laughed um, forever. So, um, but the, and then returning from spring break, yeah, uh, I was like, wow, that just told me everything. Told me a lot about your junior year <laughs> at Notre Dame um, in one sentence. So I just I love that this format. And I love some of the longer ones too, like Goner. Mm-hmm. That was that was incredible. Yeah, and- there's a lot of, of times where what I really appreciate is that you'll be you'll be telling a story and then at the very end it's just like a Twist. stab. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's uh and that's why I, that I that's what I was wondering also how you figure out how you figure out you're done or how you kind of you're just so good at like nailing the perfect ending to mm-hmm. to a narrative. That's not really a question, it's more just a compliment. <laughs> <laughs> We're just saying. Um but yeah, well, so thanks. Um, yeah, and I, I mean, so Goner, um, I, you, I mean, I, I love how in there you said I, this isn't what this isn't nonfiction or it isn't false. I dare you or something to look it up. So this really, this happened to you, and um, when you, you know, you went back. I mean, the the picture of you going back, looking at the news article, seeing this happen. Um, you know how like is this something that then you went, I mean, I, I'm kind of interested in the story beyond that. Like, do you, did you then discuss with your family? Was this a thing in, in your, in your town? Was this really talked about? Or is this just something that you sort of processed yourself here and it wasn't really discussed in your town? Yeah. So for me, it's, it was important that these pieces be understood to be the truth. Mm-hmm. I was interested in working with the truth as a restriction in a way, like when I would be writing sonnets, I would be interested in fulfilling the sonnet, not cheating on the sonnet and, mm-hmm. you know, breaking up the rhyme scheme because I wasn't clever enough to come up with the right rhyme scheme. Like the sonnet is a restriction that can allow you a new kind of truth. Right. 
and I wanted in this book of micro memoirs to only work with the truth. I didn't want to make anything up. And I don't know if this will make sense, but I feel like part of my interest in facts had to do with um, with the politics of the current administration where facts are a little mm. loose mm -hmm. and um, alternative. Mm -hmm. And I was interested in only working with the realm of fact. And so when I'm talking about my family and, you know, when I'm talking about my life and I'm naming people that are recognizable, you know, everyone who is mentioned in any of these pieces, I had them read the piece before uh -huh. the book was published because it's important to me that they're factual and mm -hmm. also that people agreed with them. Um, that piece was important to me because it's also factual, but I needed the reader to know how factual it was. So the piece is about um, when I was little, I wanted to be an altar boy mm -hmm. and the priest, Father Mayor, wouldn't let me because I'm a girl. And um, I, I felt, you know, really betrayed by that. And I wrote a letter to the cardinal saying it wasn't fair. And, you know, it was um, it was kind of a joke in my family. Like, oh, isn't it funny that she did that? Except for me, it was like one of the first times I was called to political action. And I in the woman I am now, I recognize that girl, even though everyone made fun of her. <laughs> I see she was starting a path that would lead her to become who I am now. So I guess I feel affection for her, even though maybe it was a silly thing to do to write a letter to a cardinal saying it's not fair. <laughs> no, I think it's, no, yeah, it's great. It's awesome. yeah. So then, you know, years go by. I'm in Catholic school the whole time. Move away to Mississippi, have my own kids, come back. And I'm in Chicago in my mom's house, and I'm reading the paper that they finally opened these files on the priests and that Father Mayer had been abusing altar boys and that he had, you know, gone from parish to parish to parish to parish. And, you know, when he would be caught abusing these altar boys, sexually abusing them, they would just move him to another parish. They'd give him a sabbatical and move him to another parish. And I'm... I was furious about it then, and I'm furious about it now. Mm. So I, I wrote this piece in which, um, but, you know, if, it, if the piece just ended with my anger, I'm not sure it would be that great of a piece. But what ended up happening is I had this weird memory of being in church on Easter when it was super, super hot, which was unusual for Illinois. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of looking at the altar boys and with, like, a mild envy that I always had then. Uh -huh. And... Um, seeing that one of the altar boys was holding the Bible and he started to waver a little bit and then he fell back. He'd fainted and his skull hit the marble and it made this terrible thwacking sound that echoed through the church and all the people cried out and that Father Mayor picked him up and, you know, the boy was carried outside. And what I remember is how everyone was so relieved that he was okay. But now I, in my head, understood for the first time he was probably being abused all those boys right either they were or their friends were you know right and so it was um so the piece is kind of also about memory and retrieval um but there's this the part that you're talking about in the middle where i just give the facts father robert e mayer pastor mm -hmm. of saint mary's church lake forest illinois 1975 to 1981 call this fiction yeah. i dare you yeah, is because i really want the facts out there because people still are not talking about those facts 
Mm-hmm. Right. You know, my the church that I left that I'm no longer part of, I'm sorry to say, um, you know, it's, it's still never been talked about there as far as I know, even though those moms must still be there. I mean, the dads Absolutely. too, but I came from a culture of stay-at-home moms where the dads, you know, worked all the time. You never saw them. Those moms, you know, those moms must have known. Yeah. yeah, and I think, I mean, to me, this is the, po- you have this poetry inside of it where you refer to them as altered boys. Mm-hmm. And that just was like a gut, you know, right in my gut as a mom. <laughs> um, so that one, I mean, a lot of them stayed with me, but that one really did. So I'm glad that you, I'm glad that you wrote that. Yeah. One of the things that was interesting to do in the book is to try to um, have a lot of tonal variety. So that piece, you know, I, I do think, you know, for me at least is, is like sad and angry. Mm-hmm. And then some of the pieces we were talking about earlier you know, like the piece on page about page 50, um, you know, or some of the little ones, you know, they're funny or wry or the one about the salon, you know, is a little tiny bit bitchy, you know. So um, one of the things I wanted was all these little pieces, but everyone pulling in a different emotion. So hopefully the reader, you know, what is our job as writers maybe, but to help the reader expand the boundaries of the human heart by feeling all the feels, you know. So um I, I wanted there to be a lot of tonal variety between the pieces in the book. Well, absolutely. And I, th- and I think that if they would not have varied so much, you wouldn't have gotten uh, the depth of mm-hmm. the humor or the depth of the sadness or the depth of the anger. Right. Um, they play off of each other really yeah, well. Yeah. Um, and it reminds me, as you were, as you were talking about um, like noticing the moments as it's happening, it, just, it, feels, it feels like the micro-memoir is, is sort of like a... Um, like a tool for mind for mindfulness mm-hmm. um and just kind of being being in the moment and with the moment and then being able to kind of revisit that afterward it's just very mm-hmm. it's very powerful it's a good way Thanks. to this is a good way to journal i mean like this is maybe a, just a good journaling exercise for everyone even if it doesn't turn into a book ever but mm-hmm. it's a good way to think of your well, one nice thing um oh i'm sorry to mention oh, so go ahead um, that, you know, I've heard from readers is, you know, a lot of people have contacted me after reading this book and said, I feel like I could try this. Mm. Like, I never felt like I could write a novel or I've always had the vague sense I wanted to write, but I never felt I could. But reading these small moments makes me feel like I could write these small things. I'm like, yes, yes, do (laughs) it, you know? Yes, that's exactly how I feel. That's why I think that you'll really like Encyclopedia of an Ordinary Life, because that's when you get done, you're like, Maybe I could do this. Maybe too. I could do this. Yeah. You know, um, it's very, it's very sort of freeing for people to feel like writing is more accessible to them. Well, and it all feels like how you guys described the the pillow book. <laughs> you know, it's it's a it's another variation on that. Mm-hmm. So maybe yeah. in a thousand years there'll be a podcast. <laughs> there could be. They'll be reading, eating, and cooling. Well, um, so do you have a writing ritual that you do? Well, um, all I try to do is write in the mornings when I get my kids off to school because mornings seem to be the time that's easiest to clear clear away the mm. distractions. And um, I just normally start by reading. And my only deal with myself is I have to be very present. And so I know what that means for me is 
no checking of the email where, you know, my students need me and I have to put out fires and worry about things. No checking of the online visa bill, you know, mm -hmm. no, just trying to come to the desk as close to dream and morning as possible and um, being present in the important ways mentally, which means, you know, um, not distracted and, you know, you can't be hungover, or, you know, <laughs> right. just like you just have to really be there and be open. And if I, if nothing comes, that's okay. I don't beat myself up. Just being there is my end of the deal. Okay. And, you know, and, and if something comes great and if something doesn't come, that's okay too. Was that hard to learn to just let showing up be your end of the deal and not... A, yeah, page yeah. count or a yeah, word yeah. count. Or, or not feeling bad for, I'm, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, it is for me because I'm a little type A. And, um, you know, Same. I think that's one reason why I'm drawn to writing is because you can't white knuckle your way through it, mm -hmm. you know? Yeah. Like, I'm the direct descendant of people who survived the potato famine. You know, like, I feel <laughs> like, like yes. if there's one thing I know, it is. Uh, right, mm -hmm. you know? And that's not how it works. Uh -huh. Um and you can put in your time and you can be determined to produce something great. And that's not how it works. Right. So um, I've had to learn to, like, be humble and give up in a way what, like, you know, my Western idea of a work ethic, mm -hmm. you know, in is not going to get the results. And, a and ironically, in fact, determination to write something great can keep you from writing Absolutely. something Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, man. So when... And I did want to ask, um, because in your, you, you know, this, you touch on your childhood off and on in heating and cooling, um, but you don't ever talk about writing in there, I don't remember. So when, when did you start thinking that writing was the thing that you would be doing? Um, you know, I always did various artistic things as a child, but I don't remember being this child of like significant early promise where everyone <laughs> thought, oh, she's going to do this, you know? Um you know, partially it was my cultural upbringing. It, you know, it was a little more, more of an emphasis on being like a, a lady or being a mm. polite little girl mm -hmm. than, you know, truth telling or being an intellectual of any sort. Um, so I don't feel like I really understood even what contemporary poetry was and that it was being written by people who are still alive until I got to college. Although one funny thing happened recently when I was giving a reading and my mom was in the audience and someone asked, when did you know you wanted to be a writer? And I started talking about this great professor I had in college and my, my mom raised her hand <laughs> from the audience and said, that's not true, Beth Ann. And I said, what do you, what I know. And I said, what do you mean, mom? And she has a piece of paper from a school assignment when I was seven years old when the blank was, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I had written P-O-I-T. Oh, a poet. Oh. <laughs> oh. That's awesome. <laughs> oh, that's so good. you knew. Yeah. You knew. I like it. I oh. guess I knew. So, well, your mom knew. <laughs> mom wonderful. always knows. Yeah, exactly. That's what I always say. That's wonderful. <laughs> so, okay, um, this is the most important question before we let you go, because I know you have to go teach class. Um, do you pal around with other authors? And if so... Um, if you're having a party, what is the wine to author ratio? Mm. This is very important. Oh, 
Do I pal around with other authors? Yes. In fact, I'm sleeping with one. That well, is so that true. is true. That yeah. Is, yeah. True. It's a little salacious for the radio. <laughs> I don't know if we can talk about that. Well, but, I'm telling yeah. you. We've heard yeah. about this um, guy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. Right. Poor thing. You know? Um, yeah. So we have a, a bunch of writer friends. And I, I love writers. They're my tribe. You mm-hmm. know? Um, and I just like how zany writers can be and that they're um, always not 100% grown up. Sure. You know? (laughs) And um, there's only two types of writers, the ones that need many bottles of wine and the ones that don't drink any because they're (laughs) AA. It seems to me that (laughs) the, the, the ratio for, you know, wine bottle to person is probably slightly <laughs> higher than it would be at um, an average dinner party, but, um, you know, all in good fun. A gathering of accountants, not the same. I don't know. They might party pretty hard. I know. They might need to. And so yeah. um, if we, to close out, um, I, I'm glad that you mentioned that you love your home state and that you've been there. So you're in Oxford. What, That's right. What should one do if they come to Oxford? What do, what do they need to see or do? Yeah, so y'all need to road trip down here. Um, Oxford, Mississippi is actually a pretty astonishing community. It's a, a, you know, it's a beautiful old historic college town. And so it's got all that kind of charming feel. But in addition, there's two kind of important things that give the place a lot of character beyond the typical. One is Faulkner's House, Roanoke is here, which Mm -hmm. is a really beautiful place to visit with woods you can walk through. And the second is the best bookstore some people feel in the country. It actually was, you know, one of Publishers Weekly's best bookstores of of the year, I think in, I don't know, 2016. And it's called Square Books. And, um, you know, if anyone came, I would just say to allow themselves an entire afternoon on the square, which is the old historic area around the courthouse, the same one Faulkner had Joe Christmas run from. Um, (laughs) And, you know, to spend an entire afternoon in square books where, you know, you can sit in these old windows that get this kind of golden afternoon sunlight and these big easy chairs with amazing browsing curated by really intelligent bookstore employees and you can get a cup of coffee and um, just kind of soak in the atmosphere and so many writers read there on a regular basis it's it's really a lovely thing to have in your town It, it makes me happy every time I think we will just get, get hop in the truck. I'm, I'm the just like yeah. let's looking, just go. looking yeah, let's at my just go. calendar yeah. right now. When come can on, we, girl, when come on. Down there. That, that sounds amazing. Well, Beth Ann, thank you so much for taking the time thank to you, talk Beth. with us today, and thank you so much thank for writing guys. this book. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> well, thank you guys, and thank you so much for your work at the library. And uh, maybe I should just end by telling you, I grew up in a big house um, that didn't have air conditioning. Mm-hmm. It was um, near Lake Michigan in Illinois. And um, in the summer when it got really hot, when I was kind of too old to be home but too young to get a job, uh-huh. I would walk across the street to the library and spend yes. entire afternoons wandering around just picking books out of serendipity because I like the font. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> yeah. And I remember, you know, coming across 
like Eudora Welty, um, Optimus' mm. daughter, just because I like the kind of bubbly purple <laughs> yeah. writing on the spine, you know? Yeah. And so this idea of like wandering through libraries and how it shaped me as a writer is, you know, something that's been important to me. And uh, I, I really appreciate anybody like y'all who's doing that good work. Well, thank you. Thank, <laughs> thank you very you. much. Thank you. That's exactly what we want to hear. <laughs> Have a wonderful weekend. Yeah. Thanks, you guys, too. Bye. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. Bye. So that was awesome. Yes. That was really awesome. She's really cool. And we should just, I mean, I mean, I, I don't know. I don't know what you're doing the rest of the day, but we can just <laughs> head on down to... I think we should just head on down to Oxford. That sounds amazing. Yeah. I feel like I have a former student who is teaching in Oxford. I'm going to go. I'm going to research that. So then I have a reason to go down. Podcast on the road. Mm Mm-hmm. Yes, we can. Well, I just, I really want to thank W.W. Norton Mm -hmm. for um, letting Beth Ann be on our podcast. Yeah. um, That was really fantastic. She's, I really want to go to... Oh, author party. I know she's brilliant. Drink all of the wine at their mm-hmm. party and just listen to her. Um, so, uh, and I just, I also want to say um, f- for people listening and who might want to put this on their calendar, in the future we are will be interviewing mm-hmm. another WW Norton author, Dara Dara Horn. Um, her new book, Eternal Life, is out, mm-hmm. which I read. Maybe I should talk about Eternal Life. That's what we could do. Mm. Well, okay. So we're just going to do a little wrap up. We're going to talk about a book or two. We'll just do one book or two. Like, yeah. um, Maybe like what we did this week. Let's just not get ahead of ourselves. (laughs) (laughs) All right. So you go first. Okay. Um, Okay. So I just read Mm -hmm. The Child Finder by Renee Denfield, I think. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Uh, And. Kimberly on the book squad has been just like right and left book wrecking me, like recommending. <laughs> well, and also wrecking I've my been emotions. Book wrecked. Yes. <laughs> uh, but so the Child Finder is um it's about this woman who is a self-proclaimed child finder. She, you know, if there's a kid who's gone missing, even if it was years and years and years ago, she um commits fully to trying to find out what happened and she has really amazing insight because as a kid she was at some point abducted this is the fictional character she was at some point abducted and um and so kind of has this sense for how how a a child can be captured or found um and so it's a it's a pretty intense story um and and i don't want to give any spoilers and it's just really it's really well written and um she also um, IRL, she is a, uh, Renee Denfield is a, um, Denfeld. I don't remember. But I anyway, know. Renee D. <laughs> she, uh, is a, um, an advocate for, uh, for child safety. And she has also, um, fought hard against, uh, death penalty rulings. And wow. like, she's very, yeah, she's very political, very, um, very passionate, very social justice minded. Um, and she's been a foster mom um, many, many times over and recent and, and adopted um, three of her kids. Uh, and so she writes from a space that you can just tell cares a lot. And so I really I really enjoyed reading it. Um, and then also Kimberly said that 
Terry Jones, uh, who wrote Silver Sparrow um, and American Marriage, mm-hmm. uh, she um, has vetted Renee. She was like, <laughs> I guess she sent. She's legit. Yes. Legit, so, a good human. I know. Because sometimes it's I like, like you're on the fence about reading a book and then you realize that an author that you love also likes them and you're like, yeah, yeah. All right. That I pushed know. it over. You know, I'm. I'm not, uh, I mean, I know some people are skeptical about blurbs on the back of the book, but I like them. Well, I like to know, I know. if the people I love, love other people. Yeah, exactly. I wish, what I want, if there's a app maker out there, <laughs> is I want to have a blurb catalog. And so you can be like, oh. all of the books that like Lee Child has blurbed. So that you can recommend up and coming authors to people who've read all Root Leech Hill or whatever. Girl. Oh, we just can't. Well, let's that. make sure pat- it's not done. Well, but if it's not done, I don't want anyone to. S- well, you can steal my idea. Just make it. Happen. You're like, I'm not going to do it. I just <laughs> want to. Just, just want to use it. Do this? Yeah. Oh, well, that's. I know. And I, I know you said, oh, you should read this. And I was a little nervous. Mm. I think. Maybe not. Mm. Not it's not it's not gonna be for everybody I for it, sure. I think yeah. it would be very anxiety provoking for yeah, me and I absolutely. would I would probably think about it more than I wanted to. Mm-hmm. In, yeah. In a way. So um okay. So the book that I am gonna talk I'm just gonna talk super briefly because if we're gonna interview mm-hmm. Dara Horn, no um, I don't wanna yeah, and I don't wanna talk too much about it now because we're gonna talk about it. But but so in October, um I had picked this book up or we got it as an arc. Mm-hmm. And in October, I was going on a trip and I read it. I read almost all of it um, on the plane, mm-hmm. actually. And um, it's the book is Eternal Life. And the premise is that um, Rachel, the main character, um, you meet her. And as the story unfolds, you, you find out you know, she's lived forever. 20, she's lived for 2,000 years. Oh. So she and the man she loved... Um, in ancient Jerusalem um, decided to, well, they were trying to save their child. And Mm -hmm. so they agreed to give up their death to save their child. And so um, lots of things happen when you live for Mm 2000 years. And so, I mean, it's just, just so beautifully written and it makes you just think about things that you Never would, you know, never mm-hmm. really would have had a reason to consider, um, which I love when people make me think about things that I never yeah. had to consider before. Um, and I think, you know, she, I think she does a really good job. Rachel's just a very interesting character and um, being inside of her mind and being inside the mind of a mother who's, you know, had just has children over and over again yeah, and raises yeah. a generation of children and then has to disappear, mm-hmm. um, you know, because, because before people realize that she's not really aging. Um, so it, um, it's, it's, and then she has this connection with um, her most, like her, a granddaughter. She has a, a close connection with who, who will, um, Anyways, I'm not gonna, something happens. Something happens. I'm not okay. going to tell you, but I that book is actually out right now, and you should get on hold for that because I think it's going to be a really, I think it'll blow your mind a little I'm bit. Eager to read it. Yeah. So, um, did I you think want like to there's about? another book that I was going to wait. What was I going to say? I don't know. What, what, what were you going to say? Were what, you going to talk about another book? Um, uh huh. And that book was. <laughs> 
titled uh-huh. with the words I can't remember. I feel like there was another book, but anyway, there's not. There's always other books. Is the there's, thing. there's there's all, always other books. There's always other books. Um, but and you should I, treat yourself because that was like yeah. I love that part of the interview actually, where she said that act of like giving yourself permission to sit down and read. Yeah, I don't really have much of a problem with that. No, um, we have, but and you know, children. No, we and you know, it's part of our. Yeah, professional. Yeah, it's like oh, I'm actually developing my yeah. But But no, I yeah, it's self care. Yeah, people tell me all the time that I'd love to read more. I don't have time. You do. Just put your phone down. You do. I know. Or stop watching the Great British Baking Show. (laughs) So I've actually my problem is that I have not read as much because I've been watching the freaking Great British Baking Show and Grace and Frankie or whatever it's called. Yeah. Frank and Gracie. I think I talked about that. Like, that was on maybe one of our very first I know, podcasts. I know. I said I you know. should watch that. But it's just my time is flying by. Okay. Because I'm watching TV. Yes. And I realize now that I've made a horrible mistake. <laughs> I mean, I don't regret all of the pudding watching, but. Yeah. I mean, it's good. It does to- make you feel like you don't have time because it's like, I just blew three hours mm-hmm. watching British people make pudding. <laughs> And it was delightful. But I love that show so much. I know. Oh, Mary so Berry. Kind. I just, I know. That's what I love about mm-hmm. the show is that everybody is so nice mm-hmm. to each other. Yeah. Even when someone gets cut, they're just like, they just had a rough week. They're a very talented mm-hmm. person. Like, that is There's, so unlike. Yeah. There's American not this cutthroat, like, like, I'm going to take you down. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, they even freaking help each other yes. when their little cakes start falling or whatever. And my American. A reaction was like, don't let him touch your cake. Like, <laughs> I know. Sabotage they're going to sabotage it. Right. But no, they actually do care. They're going to uh, help It's for you. the love of the cakes, I, I guess. Know. Well, yeah. it's it's a great show. Mm-hmm. I mean, people know that already. But if you haven't, like if you're like, oh. If you're me and didn't right. really realize how or great it was. the hype. Like if you're just mm-hmm. like, oh, whatever. No, it's sweet. Everybody loves I it. I was it's, having a really yeah. down time and I was just like, I'm just going to watch this show about kind British mm-hmm. bakers. And it, really... it will reinforce your any shred of faith you yeah. have left in humanity mm-hmm. it will reinforce it and you need that yeah well this week i just want to put this shout out there because i realized that um you know not everybody might know about this but this week i went to do a house call oh yeah for yes. a book club mm-hmm. the blue stockings is the name of the group and um it was really lovely and um, it was lovely because i got to have dinner there mm-hmm. and it's small glass of wine just a thimbleful thimble right. but um just to be polite mm-hmm. so what'd you do <laughs> um so i actually they gave me uh the list they've been together since 2001 they gave me the list of everything that they'd read and then i and they pointed out some of their favorites ones they'd had great discussions about and so then i went through and um tried to put some read-alikes together for them and then uh when we go out and do house calls, because you've done mm-hmm. house calls too, uh, we take a little survey. We talk a little bit about the four doorways and how you experience reading and appeal factors. And then um, we do a little um, survey, which I'm going to go kind through this like afternoon. Yeah, about what you like in yeah. books. Mm-hmm. And so, um, and so then, and I just chatted with them about some of the things that I thought they might like based on what they'd read, and and you know said ask them a little, what do you think? What do you think? And then, um, so I'm going to put together that list based on their, the read-alikes and the survey and um, what they want to read. And, and then, you know, 
they can take that. Everything that I chose for them were things that are in in our bags, our book club mm-hmm. in a bag service, or things that we are ordering. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, so that you know they might get it later, but. I think it's really nice because you can sort of get your get in a little rut, mm-hmm. um, you know, and it's nice to have nice. outside perspective. Yeah, and it's all free. I mean, yes, and it's all free. We will come to. I mean, they did feed me, I guess. right? But you don't have to. feed No, us. you don't have to. You don't have to feed us the at book all. Book recommendations are better if you do, but it's- <laughs> <laughs> yes. Oh, well, um, I had a woman though. I had a patron who was like, "Well, how much do you charge for this?" And I was like, "Oh, honey, no." No. <laughs> You know, little side jog. Isn't that, do you, we regularly run into people who think that things cost money here at the library. Yeah, and they don't. Not a thing. I think uh, it costs 15 cents if you want to make a copy. Yes, exactly. Right. Or Or print out a piece mm. of paper. But other than that. No. Book recommendations. You can sit down with us, do research projects. Mm -hmm. We can. Our tech department does Uh one-on-one with, you know, your devices. Yeah. Studios free. All the programs we do. I don't know. Charming conversation. Just so much charming conversation. Mm -hmm. Completely free. This podcast. Absolutely. Free. I mean, feel free to. <laughs> uh, no, and, and you are jar. also always allowed to bring food uh, to bribe us with, but um, mm-hmm. but yeah, otherwise, but really, otherwise, we're yeah, legally not allowed to take money. Yeah. So that's kind <laughs> of you know, if you're a, a, I'll we'll leave with this today. If you're a library fan, if you love the library, I mean, you're listening, so probably, probably you're you're. That's <laughs> not what I was gonna say. <laughs> If you are a nerd, it ain't not true. That is a good thing mm-hmm. to be. But um, you know, you probably are familiar with the library or our services or mm-hmm. most of our services. Um, you know, maybe get on your social media. Maybe reach out to your people that you see in real life and just start a conversation with them about the library yeah. and if they use the library and do they know what libraries do these days and it costs no money to get a card no money to yes. do anything yeah so mm-hmm. yeah like be be an ambassador yes be a library ambassador because you probably yeah, i know that'd be great you probably like us would be really surprised to know what people don't know uh-huh. about the library yeah almost daily when we get someone who asks at the welcome desk to sign up for a new card, they're like, "How much does it cost?" So yeah, yeah, yeah there's no, no, no. Okay, we got spread the word. Spread the word. Video games. Mm-hmm. We've got, you know, audio books, large Several print, stuff. sad lamps, sad lamps. Mm-hmm. We've got them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yep. So that was our library love fest. Yeah, library love fest. So although that name is already taken by someone, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, so is book squad. So. Oh, yeah. All right. Well, happy reading. Happy reading. That's it for this edition of the Book Squad podcast. For more details on any of the books or events mentioned in this episode, visit our website, lplks.org. Don't miss an episode. Subscribe. Please rate or comment. It helps others find the podcast. Our Book Squad librarians are Polly Ken and Kate Gramlich. Our theme music is by Heidi Lynn Bluke. I'm Jim Barnes, and this has been a production of the Lawrence Public Library.